This audio is a presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information about our church, you can visit our website at hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com. Our sermon text tonight comes from Matthew chapter 18. Matthew 18, and I will begin reading in verse 21 and read through the end of the chapter in verse 35. Hear now the reading of God's holy word. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had, and that payment be made. The servant therefore fell down before him, saying, Master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him, and forgave him the debt. But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat, saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. So when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then his master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of our God stands forever. Let us pray. Father, as we come once again to your word this evening, we are confronted in it with the reality of what you have done for us, the greatness of the debt you have paid through your son, Jesus Christ, the greatness of the forgiveness that we have in him. And also, perhaps even our own unforgiving hearts. I pray that your spirit would illuminate our hearts to receive this word and that we would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to talk tonight about debt. Not so much the debt you hear about in terms of owing someone or owing a company money. It's used to illustrate the point, but... 
we're talking about a greater kind of debt, a debt of spiritual significance. After I graduated from college, I worked for a few years at a bank, and my job there most of that time was as a loan processor. I would you know, prepare and file and, and uh, handle the loan documents in our branch of the bank. And in doing that, I saw many different experiences and faces of debt. The bank I worked for was a medium-sized regional bank, so we had debts ranging anywhere from overdraft lines of just a few hundred dollars on up to commercial building and energy loans in the millions to tens of millions of dollars. And we would hit most points in between. I would get to know the owners of companies that would come in and borrow a couple of million dollars almost seemingly on a whim. They might not even come in. It might just be a phone call. I need $2 million. All right, you've got it. I would see people, though, on the other end that were unable to get just like a few thousand dollars to buy a car or something like that because they either lacked the credit or the capacity to repay. So debts and the effect of debts come in all shapes and sizes. One thing I never did see in my time working at that bank was a debt being forgiven. If people borrowed money from the bank, they had to pay it back with interest. Even in cases where someone was delinquent and their collateral had to be repossessed or the balance charged off, it wasn't that they no longer owed the bank. It was just basically that the bank had decided that it was no longer worth the trouble to try to get it. Technically, the borrower still owed. If they ever turned up with the money, the bank could go after it. In a business, in a legal situation, debt forgiveness doesn't make a whole lot of sense. It's basically a conscious decision to take a loss, and no one in the business wants to do that. It's not good for the company. Whoever borrowed the money agreed to pay, and you're basically letting someone get away with doing you wrong. Why would you do that? Well, we read tonight a parable of Jesus from Matthew chapter 18. Now, when you hear about Matthew chapter 18, your mind probably first goes to the subject of church discipline, because in the first part of the chapter, that is what is more famously treated in this chapter. But after that discussion of church discipline, the process of dealing with sins, among brothers and sisters in Christ, Jesus then teaches on forgiveness through this parable. And in this parable, he does something very important. He grounds our forgiveness of other people in terms of the forgiveness that we have from God through the work of Christ. We need to understand our debt to understand what God has forgiven us from in Christ. And when we know that, it gives us perspective into how we should forgive others. And so we see tonight in the teaching of our Lord, the story of debt. The story of two debts, actually. And we see in these two debts how great of a debt that as sinful people we must be delivered from and have been delivered from. And as a result, the kind of grateful living that that ought to produce. So we will look at this parable tonight in three points. 
First, we see an unpayable debt in verses 21 through 25. Second, we see unbelievable forgiveness in verses 26 and 27. And then third and finally, we will see a need for unwavering gratitude in verses 28 through 35. So unpayable debt, unbelievable forgiveness, unwavering gratitude. So first we will look at the unpayable debt in verses 21 through 25. Now, as I've already mentioned, Jesus had just completed his, church, his teaching on church discipline, the results of personal sins and how those are to be handled. Now, it's not just coincidental that we see these two topics here together in the same chapter. For it may well be that when one is sinned against, perhaps when a process of admonition and church discipline is needed, somewhere along the way, or after the fact, the sinner repents and the sinner seeks forgiveness. And so we come to this conversation between Peter and Jesus. Peter asks Jesus a question in light of this teaching about dealing with interpersonal sins. He asks, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times, up to seven times. Now it would seem that Peter intends to offer Jesus a good deal here. Not only am I going to forgive my brother in Christ who sins against me, I'm going to do it seven whole times for the same thing. Now, we can be inclined to uh, think, lo think lowly of Peter here because we know how this story ends, but at the end of the day, it seems that Peter is offering something that we would probably not be naturally inclined to do. Perhaps you've heard the popular saying, fool me once, shame on you, fool me twice, shame on me. We're less inclined to forgive even once or twice, much less seven times. So again, Peter is making what would seem to be a pretty pious offer. I'll give someone not one, not two, but seven times of sinning against me in the same way before I finally cut ties or take revenge. But for Jesus, that's not good enough. Jesus tells Peter that seven is not enough, but... Instead, depending on your translation, it either says 70 times 7 times or 77 times. I could go into the text issues as to whether it should be 77 or 70 times 7, which is 490, but that would be beside the point. The point is, it's a really big number. Have you ever forgiven someone for the same offense 77 or 490 times? Maybe you have, but you're probably not keeping count at that point. Nobody does. The point is not the numbers. The point that Jesus is making here is that we are to forgive our brother as many times as forgiveness is needed. We don't reserve the right to cut our brothers and sisters in Christ off from forgiveness should they sincerely seek it. We are commanded to forgive. Jesus then proceeds to illustrate this point with this parable. We're introduced here to a king who wants to settle accounts. Basically, he wants to pay his bills and collect his debts that are outstanding, more or less balance his books. As he's working through his accounts, we see in verse 24 that this man is brought to him 
who owes 10,000 talents. Now, just how much money are we talking about? Well, in that day, a talent could be one of two things. It could be a measure of weight. So here it could be talking about a certain quantity of gold or silver, or it could also be a measure of money, of currency. So if we go by the measure of weight, while we don't know exactly the conversion, one commentator suggests that on the low end, that would have been about $12 million. Now that commentator wrote that in the 1980s, so it would probably be even higher now. But on the high end, depending on the, if we use the weight, and depending on if it's gold or silver and the market and that, it could be over $1 billion. Now, if we're talking about it as the measure of money, which is probably more likely since we are talking about debts here, a talent was worth roughly 6,000 denarii. And a denarius was roughly a day's wages, the typical a farm worker or laborer of the day would make about a denarii a day. So 6,000 of those would be roughly the daily wages for about 20 years. That's one talent. Remember, this guy owed 10,000 of those. So we're talking about a debt that would take nearly 200,000 years to pay off at the standard day wage. In other words, this is an impossible debt. There is no hope whatsoever of this guy being able to come up with the money and pay it off. Now, a debt this large is what we look at, what we face in our spiritual condition. Because of Adam's fall and sin, because of our sin, there is a debt that we have incurred against God. God is holy and just. And as such, he can't just pretend that the debt isn't there. It must be paid. And yet, this is very clearly a debt we cannot pay. In fact, we add to it all the time. We continue to sin against God. Maybe to use a modern illustration to show us just how large of a debt it could be, there is a website that tracks in real time the entire national debt of the United States. I paid a visit there this week. It's not a happy place. <laughs> Currently, the U.S. national debt is over $31 trillion. And not only is it that high, but it goes up by about $50,000 every second. While I spoke the last sentence, it went up a few hundred thousand more. Now imagine if you personally owed that entire debt yourself. And it was growing at that rate. Well, spiritually speaking, in terms of our debt of sin, we owe a debt that large and still larger. It was in fact an infinite debt to an infinitely holy God. And it grows as we are unable to stop sinning in this life. So this debtor with this ridiculous debt in this parable is meant to tell us something about ourselves. The guy who owes this inconceivable amount of debt is suddenly told that it's due. Obviously, he doesn't have it. No one ever could. Now, in that day, in the first century, one remedy for an unpaid debt was to be sold into slavery. So this is what the king proposes. That he would sell this man, along with his wife and children, into slavery. Now, even this, there's no way that that would pay the whole debt. Even slaves were only so valuable. 
But a lifetime of slavery and whatever that produces, that could be the highest price that could be exacted for a debt. Of course, what would this solution mean for this man and his family? It would be devastating. They would be separated. They would lose their freedom. They would lose everything that they had. This helps us to illustrate the nature of punishment for our debt of sin. For our sin, we deserve to suffer. We deserve to lose everything. We deserve eternal punishments of body and soul. And even in suffering for all eternity, we would never pay what we actually owed. We could not. The sinner in rebellion against God will spend a trillion years in the fires of hell and only be more indebted and guilty than when he started. Even in hell, he will not stop his hatred and rebellion against God. Now this pains us to think about, and it should. It can be shocking to us. We're prone to our pride in our thinking that we're pretty good and that God should love us and accept us. As I mentioned this morning, when we looked at moralistic therapeutic deism, a lot of people in our land believe this, that just as long as they're more good than bad, then God's going to accept them. But in fact, in our sins, we are so far removed from God, but there is nothing but devastation and condemnation unless another way is made. And that brings us to our second point as we come to the issue of payment for this debt. And so we turn to, in verses 26 and 27, unbelievable forgiveness. Now remember, this man owes an impossible debt. He has no real way, no real chance to pay it. But he asks for more time. That's a silly request. Like I said, there's no way he's going to pay. For all we know, he's asking for more time, and he's going to skip town and flee from the country or something like that, because that would be about the only way he'd get away. Even if he sincerely intended to go find some way to come up with the money, it's just not going to happen. No one else would have that kind of money to lend, and even if they did, why would they let him have it? He's clearly not very good at paying what he owes. Now, perhaps when we are confronted with our unpayable debt of sin, we too are inclined to start looking for other ways out. Maybe someone else can take care of this. But our options are severely limited for a couple of reasons. First, human sin requires human punishment. No other creature can pay for human sin. You might ask, well, what about the sacrifices of the Old Testament? Weren't they there to pay for sin? Well, they themselves were not efficacious. They did not in themselves wash away sins. Rather, they were types and shadows of Christ, who does take away sins. So we see this in texts like Psalm 51, 16, where David says that God will not be pleased with a burnt offering. Or Hebrews 10, 4, that says that the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sins. The sacrifices didn't actually take away sins because they were not human punishment for human sin. So that's the first reason another creature can't pay. But second, even if there was another person willing to bear this debt, they would fail on two grounds. 
For one, they would have their own debt of sin to reckon with, because all mankind is fallen in Adam and guilty of his sin. For another, every man, every human, is limited by creaturely mortality. No one can bear the full wrath of God. Anyone who tried would be destroyed, would be consumed. Well short of even making a dent in this debt. And so this raises an old theological question, one famously asked by the medieval English theologian Anselm of Canterbury. The question is, why the God-man? Why do we need a mediator and a deliverer who is true God and a true and righteous man? We need a true and righteous man because the debt of a person must be paid by a person, one the same in kind. And yet, he must be a true and righteous person, one not bearing his own debt of sin. But then we also need a mediator who is true God so that he can actually bear the weight of God's wrath, the price of this infinite debt. Only one infinitely power, powerful, only one divine could do that work. And so this talk of debts points us to the kind of mediator that we need. So we return to our story in Matthew 18. In verse 27, we get the king's response to this plea for more time and alternative ways of payment. We read that the master took pity on him and released him and forgave the debt. Now, given how large this debt is, we need to consider what this might mean for the master. To write off a debt of several lifetimes would likely mean that this master was taking a significant financial hit. It's not like the debt just disappears. Basically, the master's just deciding he's going to bear the loss himself. He loaned out the money thinking it was coming back, and now it's not. Now, why do I mention this? Well, because in terms of our salvation, our spiritual debt of sin... We can often think of it in terms of God just overlooking or forgetting about our debt. That's not really the case. God's justice requires payment. And so in forgiving us our sins, Christ, God the Son, takes the hit for us. God takes the loss. But now, put yourself in the position of this servant. You owed this huge debt unpayable, unpardonable, and this king decides to take the loss for you. Though I have every right and every reason to destroy you, the king might say, and take from you everything you hold dear, and even your very life, I will not. How would you feel? How would you respond? Well, hopefully it would produce in you a response of gratitude. A response of gratefulness, a response of awe and love. It would cause you to live a new and different kind of life. That's what should happen. And that brings us to our third and final point. Having looked at the unpayable debt and the unbelievable forgiveness, we now come to unwavering gratitude. Now, unwavering gratitude is what should happen when someone is forgiven such a debt. Of course, in the 
case of our parable, Jesus uses a negative example to teach us a lesson. Beginning in verse 28, we read that this man, forgiven this massive debt, goes and finds his friend who owes him a hundred denarii. The second debt of our story. Now remember from earlier, denarius is about a day's wage. So we're talking roughly a few months worth of earnings. So it's not a small amount, but given what this man was just forgiven, it's comparatively nothing. Would be like if you, after owing the national debt and having that forgiven, have a friend who borrowed enough from you to go buy a used car. It doesn't really stack up. So what should this servant do? Well, we would think in light of what just happened that he should also forgive this much smaller debt that's been done against him. Or at the very least, he should offer any deference, any accommodation that his debtor might request. Hey, I need more time on my next payment. Sure, fine, take all the time you need. Or even better, just don't worry about it. But what does our servant do? He shakes this poor fellow down. He grabs him. He starts choking him out. He demands immediate payment in full. And when he can't pay, the servant has him thrown in prison. You know, the very sort of thing that he just begged to escape and narrowly escaped. Now, if this sounds ridiculous to you, that is because it is supposed to. Jesus wants us to see the absurdity of this. It is not fitting for someone who has been forgiven such a great debt to seek vengeance, to show wrath to much smaller debts and offenses. So, because this man's conduct was so ridiculous and so out of line, he gets what he has coming. The other servants see this pitiful display, and they report back to the king who had forgiven the debt. And the king is furious, as he should be. And so he summons the servant back and confronts him. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And then we see grave consequences. The servant is delivered to the jailers until he should pay the debt, or... Other translations say to the torturers, which remember, given how large this debt is, he never will. So what are we to make of this? How does this relate to us? Well, in verse 35, Jesus concludes, So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. So what is he saying here? Is he saying that if we withhold forgiveness, we lose our salvation, we fall out of a state of grace? No, because God does not lose any of his people. But the point is this. Forgiven people are forgiving people. We have been forgiven in Christ a debt beyond anything we could ever even comprehend. That's going to impact how we live in this world and how we relate to the people around us. We are going to live a life of gratitude and love. We're going to be patient with and endure and forgive one another. Forgive debts and faults because we know that we have been forgiven something far greater that we could never pay by one who is infinitely greater. We should be a thankful, generous, compassionate, 
and forgiving people as a reflection of the generous, compassionate, and forgiving Savior that we have. But also as we come to this text and are reminded of this great debt that we owed, we need to remember the greatness of our God and our Savior, Jesus Christ, what exactly he has done for us. It can be easy, particularly if we've been Christians for a long time, or particularly in seasons of difficulty or distraction, to forget just how great of a salvation we have. To forget the insurmountable debt that we owed, and how our Lord Jesus Christ took it upon himself. He did not take it on by merely forgetting, or by the stroke of a pen writing it off. He took that debt upon himself by taking on the form of a humble human servant, like us in all ways except for sin. He became a human because a human had to pay for human sin. He lived in this world, keeping the law perfectly, and he suffered and died the cruel and brutal death of the cross. He bore the full weight of God's wrath because he, being God, had the power to do it where we never could. And in his resurrection, his victory was declared. Christ has overcome sin and death. This is the mediator that we need, and this is the mediator that we must have. And this is the mediator we do have, and the great forgiveness and salvation that he gives. So the call tonight is twofold. First, consider Jesus and consider the salvation that we have in him. Perhaps tonight you are confronted for the first time with this, with this reality of this debt of sin that you owe, as one who has sinned against your God. You will not be able in your humanity and of your own efforts to pay this debt. Apart from Christ, there is nothing that can be done for this debt but eternal conscious torment and condemnation, which you have earned justly and rightly for your sin. The only way of escape is through the blood of Christ. He has suffered and borne the weight of God's wrath and offers forgiveness of sins and eternal life to all who would repent of their sins and believe in his name. But perhaps tonight, you are a Christian, yet you struggle in your heart to forgive others and to live this life of thankfulness and gratitude. Perhaps you are like this servant, forgiven a debt infinitely beyond your capacity, and yet you are shaking down your friends, your family, your co-workers, others in the church, others in your life, for a pittance of what they've done to you. When you have been forgiven by God for something so much greater. This parable is meant to reorient our perspective, to challenge us. As forgiven people, we should be forgiving people. We ought to live grateful lives of loving, humble service to the people around us. Perhaps even this is the means by which they will be won to Christ. And so may all of us tonight have the confidence that our debts are paid and we are delivered from them in Christ. And may we live lives of joyful gratitude as a result. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for this word that we have seen. 
We thank you most of all for this great salvation we have in our Lord Jesus Christ, who became a man so that he could pay for our sins, and yet being fully God to satisfy your wrath. We thank you that we have this great salvation in the gospel, that we have the payment of our debt, in, our debt of sin in full. And I pray that in light of this glorious salvation that we have, we would forgive others and love and serve them and make your name great in the world around us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this audio presentation of Westminster Orthodox Presbyterian Church in Hamill, South Dakota. For more information, you can visit our website, hamillopc.com. That's H-A-M-I-L-L-O-P-C dot com.